0: to another episode of search ponder and pray um, a podcast where we study the scriptures in line with uh, or loosely in line with the come follow me program that's been given out by the Church of Jesus Christ of latter-day saints and we strive to find ways to apply it to our daily lives and to grow closer to the Lord um, so yesterday we we talked about Amos Chapter one and two, and today we'll just kind of press forward and jump on with three and four. Um, we'll just kind of keep pressing our way through until we reach, make our way through Obadiah at the end of the week. So let's go ahead and start there. Um, but as always, let's start with a prayer first to help get us help uh, get our get ourselves prepared and and have the spirit or invite the spirit um, into our to our study today. All right. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the chance that we have to come together and to meet in this way. We thank thee for the wonders of technology, that we're able to study the scriptures in so many, many ways, and that we're able to have these blessings. We are thankful, Father, for patience and the love that thou dost give unto us. And we ask that to please help us to draw closer to thee. Help us to have thy spirit at this time that we might be able to have our minds and hearts open to thy word. That we will hear what we need to hear and uh, see what we need to see. That we might be a blessing to those around us. And we say these things ever so humbly, Father. And we ask As always, for forgiveness of our sins, we might become better. We might draw closer to Thee. Let me pray for these things humbly, Father, in the name of Thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Amos chapter three. So, um, I'm sure that if any that for any of you who um, served a mission or uh, had the missionaries teach you or had seminary or anything like that, you there's a good chance you you probably have heard one of the one of the verses already from Amos chapter three. You may you may not remember that it's from chapter three, um, but I'm sure that once we reread it, it will be like, oh yeah, that's that's like a that's like a pivotal scripture that we use, or at least we used to use all the time. So we're gonna jump back into, into chapter three. So last time the Lord was kind of laying out his grievances. Um, with Israel, and was calling out that, you know, you you have fallen, you, you were my chosen people, but you have not been acting like a chosen people, and so you're going to be treated like everybody else. And so, um, we're going to jump back in, in chapter 3, where Amos is once again speaking, and we will, we're going to kind of discuss um, a verse that we use very often in the church, um but it, I think it means a little bit more in context and um, it's one of my fears a lot of times is that we, we may pull scriptures um, for our use out of context and while they yes they they mean what we're what we're claiming they mean um they they might not they might not be meant the way that we're, taking them to mean, if that makes sense. We'll jump, we'll jump in and, we'll, and it'll make more sense. All right, so let's start in verse 1 on chapter 3. Hear this word the Lord hath spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore I will punish you for all of your iniquities. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he hath taken if he hath taken nothing? Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where, the, where no gin is for him? Shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? Shall a trumpet be blown in the city, and people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in the city, and the Lord hath not done it? And here's the and here's the verse. Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but He revealeth His secrets unto His servants, the prophets. The lion hath roared; who will not fear? The Lord God hath spoken, but who can prophesy? So the Lord, here, He's He's setting it up for us, that um, when calamities and dark tidings are upon us, we will be given ample warning. The Lord is telling us, you know, yes, I will I will have told you how to prepare. I will have laid it out for you the things that you should do. Um so we're gonna we're gonna kind of dive into this because I this is gonna be, I think, the meat of what we discussed today, because this there is a a misconception that comes uh, from this, and there is a a f- a misinterpretation of the meaning and how one is to apply it. So let's jump over to the Old Testament student manual um, where they talk about this. In section 8-8, For God will not do anything without forewarning his prophets. So, Amos spoke to the whole of Israel, all twelve families or tribes, Using the metaphor of a husband, the Lord reminded Israel that He had chosen no other. I think it's funny that um, we we look at Hosea very much as like as he him as, as being the prophet who uses that marriage analogy, um, especially with an adulterous wife. Um, and and I think the reason is because he's told to marry um, an harlot Gomer. But I find it interesting that. Yes, Hosea did use that, and probably he was the one who used it the most strongly, but I think almost every other prophet since we read Hosea has used the same metaphor. It's, apparent, it's one that is very near and dear to the Lord. Anyways, carrying on. He spoke of himself as a faithful husband and, rem- and reminded Israel of her covenant relationship with him. In verse 3, he asked Israel to remember the need for unity in their relationship with him it is necessary if they were to walk together for them to be in agreement the images are all chosen to express the same thing god has foreknowledge of all calamities but he never sends a calamity unless he first notifies his prophets prophecy comes in direct revelation god has knowledge of all his children and their doings and justly warns and threatens with his judgments the fact that the prophets prophesy correctly is an indication that they are in communion with God, and that they do not, and that they do indeed walk together. Amos three seven is a clear statement concerning the role of prophets. President L- N Elden Tanner said there are many scriptures which assure us that God is as interested in us today as He. As he has been in all his children from the beginning, and thus we believe in continuous revelation from God through His prophets to guide us in these latter days. The prophet Amos said, "Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but He revealeth His secret unto His servants, the prophet, the prophets." All right, so there it is. It's kind of laid out for us um, that you know the Lord is going to the Lord is going to reveal the calamities to the prophets and. and we we can look to the prophets and look to the scriptures, because there are prophets in the scriptures, um as to the what's what's coming, what what can what we can expect to be approaching. Um now the misinterpretation that I fear we pull from this too often is that oh, well the Lord has told us that um If we follow the prophet, we'll be fine. That all we have to do is we just have to do exactly what the prophet tells us and we will be in the right. Now, I have to kind of be careful here. And once again, this is my personal opinion. This is not the official opinion. By any means, I suggest that if you have any questions about this, you take it up with the Lord, that you study it out in your own heart, and that you take the time to study it yourself. This is where my study has led me at this time. I believe that setting the prophet up to that standard, to the point where whatever the prophet says is Scripture. And whatever the prophet doesn't say, we must not have to worry about. One example that I'm afraid too often we we are uh, falling into is perhaps with the the, um, commandment to gather and prepare food storage. I believe it was Elder Bednar, and I should have looked this up beforehand, it's just coming to my mind now, I apologize. Um, Elder Bednar said that we don't necessarily talk about it anymore, but that doesn't mean it's not true still. We have talked about it, and talked about it, and talked about it, and we've said pretty much all we can say on the subject, and now it's up to you to listen or to not listen, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have food storage anymore you can look through any of the any of the church manuals any of the church teachings and things and you will find the principle still to be there and still to be true same with having children it's not explicitly preached that we should have children and that that needs to happen and yet that commandment still echoes out from the garden of eden multiply and replenish the earth. And it stands steadfastly in the proclamation, the family, the proclamation to the world. That families are important. Having children is an important aspect of the gospel. To kind of highlight this, if we jump over to the teaching, No, No No Greater Call, a resource guide for gospel teaching, um, and we're going to be in, um, I believe it's section 13. Uh, your call to teach, um, under helping individuals take responsibility for their for learning the gospel. It's there is a uh, a note about this. It says in a letter about studying the gospel, Elder Bruce Armacost wrote. Now let us come to a conclusion that will have an important bearing on our eternal salvation. It is. It is that each person must learn the doctrines of the gospel for himself. No one else can do it for him. Each person stands alone where gospel scholarship is concerned. Each has access to the same scriptures and is entitled to guidance of the same Holy Spirit. Each must pay the price set by a divine providence if he is to gain the pearl of great price. The same principle governs both learning truth and living in harmony with its standards. No one can repent for... And on your behalf, for an, uh, on, and on behalf of another, no one can keep the commandments in the place instead of another. No one can be saved in someone else's name, and no one can gain a testimony or press forward in light and truth to eternal glory for anyone but himself. Both the knowledge of the truth and the blessings that come to those who conform to true principles are personal matters. And as a just, and as a just God offers the same salvation to every soul who lives, the same laws so he offers the same understanding of his eternal truth to all who will pay the truth-seekers' price. The church system for gaining knowledge, for, for gaining gospel knowledge is as follows. A. The responsibility rests upon each person to gain a knowledge for the truth through his own efforts. B. Next, families should teach their own family members. Parents are commanded to bring up their children in light and truth. The home should be the chief center the chief teaching center in the life of a Latter-day Saint. C. To help families and individuals, the Church, as a service agency, provides many opportunities to teach and to learn. We are commanded to teach one another the doctrine of the Kingdom. This is done in sacrament meetings, in conferences and other meetings, by home teachers, in priesthood and auxiliary classes, through seminaries and institutes, and through the Church educational system. So that's that lays it out pretty pretty explicitly and I think the danger in in saying well the prophet didn't say it talk about this so it must not be on the rise it must not be about to happen I think one of the big dangers with that is if you look back at the last general conference uh, you know you can look at it and say well um, they talked a lot about about love and about acceptance and about growing and and all these different things. But did they talk about reading the Bible? I don't think they talked about reading the Bible. So we must not need to read the Bible. It must not be important. Well, we know that's not true. But you can see that if you start to pull on that argument to the extreme, it starts to... Lead to a a, a not a good spot. I believe we have to have a balance, and this is the core of my opinion on the matter. I believe we have to have a balance. The prophet and the church has—they have told us that we are that we are now entering a a family-centered, church-supported, gospel-learning and living style of education and. Gospel teaching. With that in mind, we are responsible to know what's coming. We are responsible for that. We are responsible to have a relationship with the Lord. And the Lord will make it known unto us what we need to do for us and our families. The prophet cannot, the prophet is looking at things from a, you know, a 10,000 foot view. He and the apostles are concerned with a worldwide church it's global and so the lord knowing that knowing that the hard things that are coming knows that we must be prepared on our own we must be willing to put forth the effort and not wait to be spoon-fed the gospel and spoon-fed warnings we have been given enough warnings about what is coming if you want a good example from recent from recent conferences just go through and search how many times president russell m nelson was quoted as saying in the coming days We will not be able to survive spiritually without the the guidance, the constant guidance and strength and support of the Holy Spirit. That seems to say to me that if we don't have that relationship with the Lord, if we're not striving for that and striving to be worthy of that, we won't see the, the pitfalls and the landmines and the areas where the adversary has set traps in the last days for us to fall into he didn't say you know listen to my voice and listen to the voice of the prophets and we will not lead you astray and we will we will make sure that everything is good and you will survive he didn't say look at what the church says and stick close and do exactly what the church says and you you'll you won't be far off no, because the prophet is not the head of the church. Christ is. Yes, he, the Lord may, will reveal his secrets to the prophets. But the prophet is a step o- removed from us and from the Lord. We should not outsource our spiritual growth to someone else. We should not outsource our spiritual development to someone else we are responsible for that ourselves and I don't want you this to be misconstrued I don't want you to misunderstand me and say well we just, don't listen to the Prophet the Prophet you know he's just he's just not there saying things you just need to study the scriptures and if whatever, whatever your heart tells you you go that way no the scriptures and the prophets are a strong structure of guidelines laid down for us to know the bounds wherein we must stay. They are a latticework that allows us to find the path through. We use them as the iron rod, as the guardrail to lead us down the path. But the end goal is never the word. It's never the just what the prophet said. We don't wait for the prophet to say something and we jump and do it and say, check, done. No, we follow these guidelines and we search them out in our own hearts and we find the truth and we find the true word, our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what is important. We jump back to Amos, where he says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? If we are not at a point where we can hear the voice of the Lord in our minds and our hearts, that the Spirit is not yet with us, what greater way than to follow what the Scriptures say and what the prophets have laid out for us to get us to that point? And then to use the scriptures as references, to use them to build us up, to study them, and to seek the word of the Lord. Because, as he says in verse 8, The lion hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord God hath spoken, who can but prophesy? The Lord is telling us, I have spoken. I have warned you. I have laid these things out. And if in the end, when everything starts to come, it falls apart and you say, well, nobody told me. God will give you that disappointed, disapproving, fatherly look and say, really? I didn't tell you? What about here in this scripture? What about here in this talk, in this general conference talk? What about this time when the, when the Prophet Joseph Smith said this? What about this time when, when this? What about this when this? Well, yeah, but, but in the general conference right before it all happened, nobody said anything. I would encourage you, if you still hold to this, Go back to the General Conferences before World War I. Go back to the General Conferences before 9-11. Go back to the General Conferences before um, all these different things. And tell me if you see where the prophets called out and said, it's coming, there's a war coming, and explicitly tell you what's coming. Or if they continue on with the same, with the same, story with the same teachings, with the same things of you need to repent, you need to come back to the Lord, you need to become a stronger disciple of Christ. We have to be responsible for our own teaching, we have to be responsible for our own gospel growth. all right, we've probably beat that dead horse enough. Like I said, those are my opinions. I highly suggest and recommend that you study that out for yourself because I believe that it is a great key to finding a greater path and a more sure path to the Lord. Verse 9. Publish in the places of Ashdod, and in the places of the land of Egypt, and say, Assemble yourselves upon the mountains of Samaria, and behold the great tumults in the midst thereof, and the oppressed in the midst thereof. For they know not to do right, saith the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their places. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, An adversary there shall be, even round about the land, and they shall bring down thy strength from, from thee, and thy palaces are, shall be spoiled. Thus saith the Lord, as the shepherd taketh out taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out of the place of Samaria in the corner of, of a bed and in Damascus in a couch. <clears throat> All right, so we're going to talk about verse 12 a little bit, and then we're going to jump over to the Old Testament student manual to talk about um, some other things. But here... um. The shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear. Um, So the Lord is kind of set up almost kind of backwards. So let's start with, I guess, let's start with the the end of this verse and then we'll come back to the the, the first. Um, So shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed and in Damascus in a couch. So, if you jump over to the Old Testament Student Manual, it talks about <coughs> about the in the in this culture in this time period, sitting in the corner, in the corner spot on the couch, was the place of of honor. And so he's calling them out that <coughs> the the kingdom of Israel has built themselves up, and they're fairly haughty and prideful of themselves, and they think that they're that they're fairly great, and they don't they think that they're powerful enough that no one can come against them, but he's saying in your splendor, in your might, in which you perceive to be this powerful position, this honorable, honorable position, once the nations of the earth are through with you, you will be like when a shepherd comes upon where a lion hath eaten one of his lambs, and the only thing he can find left is a leg or an ear that's left. and That's all he has to take back and say, I've lost one of my lambs, to prove that one of his lambs has been lost. Once again, foretelling the calamities, and it it might not be for another, another few years that this will come. But what I find interesting is, despite having been warned before, many years before, and then being warned right up till the day that it happened, they still didn't listen. That's old news. That's old news. We're not we're not interested in your crazy talk. We don't we don't want to hear you anymore. And they let it slip by. Let's jump over to the old testament student manual. Um What is the significance of the mention of Ashdod in Egypt? Ashdod, one of the Philistine Philistine capitals, is mentioned by way of example as the chief city of the uncircumcised, who were regarded by Israel as as, as godless heathens. And Egypt is mentioned along with it as the nation whose unrighteousness and ungodliness had once been experienced by Israel to satiety or fullness. If, therefore, such heathen, what as the as such heathens as these were called to behold the unrighteous and dissolute conduct to be seen in the places it must have been great indeed so the lord is calling forth the people you know their enemies and saying come watch come watch what i'm about to do so you can have it as a testimony to yourselves how what the lord what jehovah will do to his people so that you can understand the power of god Hear ye and testify in the house of Jacob, saith the Lord God, the God of hosts. Verse 13. Now verse 14. That in the day that I shall visit visit the transgressions of Israel upon him, I will also visit the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altars shall be cut off, and fall to the ground, and I will smite the winter house with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall have an end, saith the Lord. Image with horns. Horns always represent power. In the, in the, especially in the Old Testament. Um, I would suggest looking... Um, the, old, the Old Testament student manual refers to uh, the commentary in Second Samuel, I believe. If you want more there, you should look at that. I, I highly recommend that. The horns are very important. And for all of us who um, have been to the temple and been through some of the washing and, and anointing ceremonies, I would suggest that you think about that. And maybe the next time you go through the ceremony, Think about these—the imagery of the horn and the and, the, and how the, the horn represents power—and uh, just keep that in mind. I I uh, I don't want to say any more because I would uh, I think the Lord would prefer that you go and have the experience yourself. So we jump. So he's telling them that power—the power that you have from the Lord—is going to be cut off, and it will fall to the ground, and it will be uh, spoiled, and there will be no power. In chapter 4, Hear this word, ye kind of Bashan, that are in the mountain of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, and say to their masters, Bring and let us drink. So, um, interesting commentary is given in uh, the Old Testament student manual in section 8-11. The quality of life in any community is largely what what its women make of it. If they are cruel and covetous, their children will likely be the same here amos compared the women of samaria with the cows or kine which fed upon the rich pastures of the sea of galilee caring for little but eating and drinking their sin consisted of urging their husbands to bring them food brought without money squeezed from the poor thus it is the same way that fish are caught with hooks and pulled from the pond these women and their children would become ensnared by israel's enemies and violently torn from their affluence and debauchery This is something that um, we should take a close look at. The quality of life in any community is largely what its women make it. If there are any sisters that are listening, I would recommend that you reflect upon that greatly. The power of the home is one that should never, ever be underestimated. There's that trite saying, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world, whatever. But I would suggest that you think about this. We have been told by members of the general authorities, by apostles, by prophets, that the family is under attack. that motherhood is under attack. And I would suggest that we think about what is being done, what is being said in the world in Babylon about mothers, about women who want to stay home with their families, who want to have children, who choose to follow the Lord, That is not what the world would have you do. The world wants you to go out, live your life, have fun, get a job, be a a strong, independent woman, have a career, go out. And if anyone tells you otherwise, they're bigoted sexists who don't understand. your husband, your your boyfriend, your, your family. They should want you to be who you want to be. I so suggest, if you are curious, you should look into, there's been a study done that shows that women are, in general, more unhappy than they've ever been. Women are more unhappy than they've ever been. The number of children being born is at an all time low, and our world is falling apart. I suggest we ponder on that. Back in chapter 4, verse 2 The Lord God hath sworn by his holiness that, lo, the days shall come upon you, that he will take you away with hooks. And your posterity with fishhooks, and ye shall go, ye shall go out at the breaches; every cow at that which is before her, and ye shall cast them into the palace, saith the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress at Gilgal; multiply transgression, and bring your sacrifices every morning, and your tithes after three years, and offer a sac- and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven, and proclaim and publish the free offerings, for this liketh you. O you children of Israel, saith the Lord, and I also have given you cleanness of teeth, in all your cities. Well, let's stop at chapter at verse five. He's saying, "Look, this is this is this is the the logic that you are on right now. You believe that you can come to Bethel and transgress, and at Gilgal you multiply transgression, and then you decide well." The law says that we should bring our sacrifices every morning and our tithes after three years, and we need to make sure that we give a sacrifice of Thanksgiving with leaven, and we give our free offerings, and we follow the law. Did the Lord not tell the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Thou art like whited sepulchres that outwardly are clean, but inside bear dead men's bones? This is almost the exact thing that's being told to to Israel here. You are, you are keeping the law to the T. You're following every little thing. Every, every little thing that's being asked of you. But it means nothing to you. You are simply keeping up appearances. Do we go to church? Do we pay our tithing? Do we, do we fulfill our callings? So that we can, so that we can impress our neighbors? So that we can impress our families, our parents, our grandparents, anyone? Or do we do these things because we love the Lord? Because it's what he wants us to do. I think it's interesting. I kind of feel like I'm repeating myself over and over again. And part of it is because that's just the time period we're at right now in the scriptures. But it is important for our day as well. Just as with these people, their dispensation was coming to an end. This was, this was wrapping up. The wrapping up scenes were rapidly approaching before the, the Lord would be born. And the people had to be prepared, and the sooner the better. And so we should also take note and listen. If the Lord says it once, it's important. If the Lord says it 20 times, then we'd better listen. And I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities, this is verse 6, and want of bread in all your palaces. Yet ye have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I've, I've get, there's a famine. I've taken away your food. There's nothing to eat. And, and still, you won't humble yourselves. And also I've withholding the rain from you. And yet, and when there were yet three months to the harvest, and I caused it to rain upon one city, and caused it not to rain upon another city, one piece was rained on, and the piece whereupon it rained not withered. So two or three cities wandered unto one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied, yet they have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have smitten you with a blasting and mildew, when your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increased. The palm worm devoured them, and yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have set among you the pestilence after the manner of of Egypt, your young men have I slain with a sword, and have taken away your horses. I have made the stink of your camps to come up into unto your nostrils. Yet ye have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and ye were a firebrand, and ye were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning. Yet ye have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee. Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. For lo, he that formeth the mountains, and created the wind, and declareth unto man what is his thought, that maketh the morning darkness, and treadeth upon the high places of the earth, the Lord God. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. How great and terrible is that! God is laying out everything that he has done, unto the children of Israel, to try and bring them into remembrance. Things that he has done unto other nations that humbled them to the dust, that brought unto them remembrance, brought them back to God. Great famines and pestilences destroyed their crops. He even had it so that one city would receive no rain, whereas the other one did. And instead of humbling themselves and turning to God and praying for forgiveness and asking him to send the reins to their city, they went over to the other city, got enough to survive, and carried on with their lives Thought nothing of it. Then it even came to where they they were like the Egyptians. In the days of Moses, when when the young men were slain and taken from them, their family, their children were killed. Simply dried their eyes, pressed forward, never looking towards God, refusing to humble themselves, stubborn as ever. And then it came to the point of Sodom and Gomorrah, where they were encased with fire. And God says He plucked them out like a firebrand out of, like a branding iron out of the fire. And after they've been scorched with, with with trials and hardship, and the fire and the heat of the day had been upon them, and still nothing. And so the Lord tells them, Buckle up. You've left me with no choice. Therefore, in verse 12, Therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. That's a warning. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, where you've been over at a friend's house, or maybe you've been at school and you've done something wrong, and your mom or dad says, stay right where you are, I'm coming to get you. And you know it's not going to be good. You know you're going to feel the wrath of your parents. Now imagine in the same way god saying that to you prepare cuz i'm done i'm done trying i've tried enough now i will come and get you myself for lo he that formeth the mountains and created the wind and declareth unto man what his thought what is his thought that maketh the morning darkness and treadeth upon the high places of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. I testify that he is the most high, that he is the most powerful, that he is our Lord and King. I testify that he has given us the choice to walk with him, as did Noah, as did Enoch, as have many, as have all of the prophets. As have many other people who have labored diligently and have been clinged by his love and been declared a member of the Church of the Firstborn. That is always an invitation to us. Or oh, we can choose to be his enemy. For the natural man is an enemy to God and has been and will be forever and ever. We get to choose. The Lord is pleading with us to return to him. I pray that we will use today to draw a bit closer to him, to show our love and our gratitude to him. For he truly did pay the ultimate price for us. I testify that these things are true. And the scriptures are a powerful resource for us. And I know that as we press forward, we will be blessed, despite the coming calamities. And I say these things ever so humbly in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.